Before we begin the episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Chin Up Goggles, the new generation of vision training. Its simplistic design eliminates downward vision, improving a player's spatial awareness, anticipation, skill acquisition and execution. The findings have been supported by scientific research in CIT, now MTU. Be sure to visit chinupgoggles.com for more. Welcome back to the Sideline Live podcast. You can follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at the Sideline Live. We'd love to hear from you. On episode 52, I am delighted to be joined by under 18 Irish men's head basketball coach Paul Keller. We discuss a wide variety of topics including player development, the trials process, video analysis, player driven video analysis, player feedback, and so much more. I hope you enjoy. Hi Paul, thanks a million for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Orla. I'm delighted to uh, to be here. Brilliant. So before we get into everything, because we have a lot to discuss, would you mind giving yourself a bit of an intro to the coaches and listeners who don't know who you are? Yeah, uh, my name is Paul Kelleher. Um, I've been coaching 24 years now. Uh, coach Super League at UCC Demons, Neptune, Glanmire, um, UL Eagles, um, and have coached internationally for the past uh, 15 years. And I'm also a career guidance counsellor at uh, Clash Emirates Cork. Very good. So we're going to get into everything coaching. I've sent you the list of questions, but before we get into it, what at what stage in your career? I know you started off as a skills coach, but did you make the jump to, as you mentioned, there Super League international levels? Oh, um, yeah. So I started at 17 and kind of got the the grow for us. Um, coach under 11s and. Uh, stuff like that for a few years and then when I was in my first year of college in Tralee I remember it was a Wednesday night and I was watching Liverpool in Hennessy's in Tralee I got a phone call from Pat Price and it was just before say the cup the old cup uh, situation where it was under 19 and it was on the one weekend so Pat obviously was in a clash because the 19s were in, in the final and just needed a little bit of help off the floor um, so I asked me to get involved and yeah that was that was the uh the beginning of the end i suppose really yeah very good so we're going to chat about all things development ta- uh, talent and a lot of other subjects but for yourself you're under 18 men's head coach i want to discuss a little bit about the trials process process we we're chatting a little bit before um before recording there you haven't started the 2022 program yet but i suppose what is your usual structure to the trials um and how does that all work assuming covid is not around yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, and listen to all the podcasts and all the coaches have said, like, every game has evolved, every sport has evolved. You know, I think we've probably learned a better way of doing things, which is a cliche phrase now um, across all podcasts and coaching seminars. Um, but I also think we haven't really found a better way. We found a way to add to what we've already done. Um I think the old style was we let them play, we let them scrimmage, we let them figure it out. And sometimes players get hidden in that and we miss players. So over the past number of um, processes, we've actually started practicing okay. our drives. Um, so we've let them play one-on-one, we've let them play two-and-two, we've let them play three-and-three, and we've built it up into scenarios that we think might develop through out the program and, and where we want to get to as a team. Um, general general game activities, we'll do a bit of shooting, we'll actually have some defensive drills. And, you know, we'll find players that 
traditionally, you know, might have been hidden because we're allowing them to express themselves in the one on one, in the two and two, and we find different strengths. We find different areas that we say, you know what, we might be able to find something for that player, get them on a list. Um, and then obviously we play at the end, live 5v5 up and down, and more players come out with the woodwork because of that, because that's their strength. So yeah. I think we do a very fair process in giving every kind of scenario where people can show their strengths. And if a player shows a strength in his 3-3 three and three, but can't, doesn't really show a strength in a 4-4, four, 5-5, four, five and five, or up and down, I think we're going to take him back for another look. So I think it's it's giving them all the opportunities to see what they can bring to the table um, and not just be pigeonholed because they can't play 5-5 five and five up and down. And that's our job in, in the long in the longer process to help them evolve into that, into that if, if, if it's at all possible. Mm-hmm. I love the way you mentioned there being able to to kind of bring players out of the woodwork let's say in a five on five situation my background's Gaelic football like if you're playing 15 on 15 you've got maybe eight players touching the ball in a match for the majority of the match so you've got how many left standing same in the basketball one person has the ball there's what nine other players there chances are in a five on five game three of those aren't really going to touch the ball that much yeah. I love the way you, you've brought that in do you kind of focus on do you do any sort of skills work in the trials process do you bring in any like plays or that kind of tactical side of things or is it more just as you said one on one two on two five and five we, we, we might put a bit of constraint in it in terms of like you know reducing the amount of dribbles that we see who, who's explosive who's not explosive yeah. um, you know who can who can read a defender being off them are they willing to, to catch and shoot right off the bat even in the one on one setting you know where they where we might toss the defense, get it back, and now we're live, and the defender might back off, and are they confident enough to shoot it? And um, we might put a relocation constraint into it. We might do all these sort of things in in the process just to see who can grab things pretty quickly. And one yeah. of the things that we really look for, and we emphasize this right away, we're looking for great listeners because obviously basketball is a listening game. In timeouts, teammates talking to each other, you know, end of game scenarios. So it, that's one thing that we identify right off the bat. If you're a great listener, you have a great opportunity of, of, um, of progressing with the squad. Um, and everything else, if you're a great listener, we think we can, add to, we can help you add to your, your uh, toolbox and, and develop your weapons and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of criteria that we look for within the process. Um, and what I found over the years is that, you know, there are certain players that are going to be involved in schools finals, club finals, all the time. So all those players are known. But there hasn't been a squad yet where we haven't found somebody from a non-traditional basketball background or county mm-hmm. or area. Um, and it's been great to see those players come out. And I think what we've done now by giving all those players processes and one-on-ones, two-on-twos, they get a chance to expose themselves and their skill set. And it might be that they've got extra length. It might be that they're a great defender. It might be that they're a great passer and can they make other players around them great as well so i do think that the process that we've done now um allows us to to find all the players and one of the things that we also do and i've been doing this for about five or six years now is i tend to bring in other coaches from outside so we try to bring in five or six coaches who are not involved in the squad who have no invested who have no vested interest in this player being selected or that player being selected so I think what we've done with that process is that we have a lot of eyes in the process of talent identification and we'll huddle up every now and again, you know, and we find the common names and then we can push them, you know, right where they're in 
And now yeah. we look for other. So we normally get to about maybe 15, 20 easy. Okay. And then, you know, somebody might have five names. I might have five names, whatever. And we're kind of saying, no, I've only got one of those names. So now we're all looking at those players again. Or, you know, this pair may not be right. This pair may not be right. So where we, I think what we do is we do a really fair process in trying to make sure that we find the right players that are suited to progressing with the squad. I love the way you mentioned listening. Uh, I had a slide up uh, from a coaching webinar. I've been kind of looking into different parts of it and it it was 10 things that don't require talent. And to me, listening is nearly, probably actually number two or number three. Attitude for me is number one. Can you, is listening something that as a coach you can teach your player or is it that the player needs to make that decision whether it's subconsciously or consciously? Good question. I suppose let me give you an example. We played Temple Oak in a league game in Diablo Hall a number of years back. And we were nine up with like three and a half minutes to go. And Temple Oak were really experienced and we were very inexperienced with the young team. And they found a way to get back in the game. And it was a tie game, four seconds left. And I called a timeout. Um, and my first question was, who wants to be a screener? And straight off the bat, Jer Noonan goes, me i'm going to be your best screener right now so he heard what we needed at that point and he freed up key and he for a wonderful lob and we just missed the we missed the opportunity and went overtime we lost in overtime but that's the sort of stuff end of game scenarios who's listening for what we need as a team right now and i think that comes with experience i think it's on the coaching staff to bring scenarios every day where the kids have to learn to listen and the one thing i've always learned or always seen over the process, whether it's 16 national team or 18 national team, is if we put scenarios every day where they have to listen to each other, where they have to listen to us, where they have to be in scenarios like with this last thing that we did, when we scrimmaged, we obviously couldn't scrimmage against anybody with COVID and we were in our own bubble. We scrimmaged every single day for 40 minutes. We put 40 minutes on the clock. We played a full game. They took the time out. So they had to learn to listen to each other. And I would listen to them. And that's one thing I've gotten better at in the last two years is actually listening to the players or what they need. Um, I think you were at one of our practices where we threw the session plan out the window because it was the first 10 minutes after the break was awful. And I just said, what do we need right now? And they said, I think we just need to just play. We haven't yeah. played enough. Can we just play a 40 minute game? And that was the inst- instigator for us doing that for the next three weeks leading into the or challenges. So we learned I learned to listen, which was not a great strength of mine or over the years. But um, yeah, so I think we with this program, last program, we were great listeners and I became a better listener because I learned from them. How was it at the beginning of those sessions where you allowed the players to take the team, this kind of the team huddles and the timeouts and the, the half times? Like I know yourself and Andy were, were observing now, you didn't say anything because you were letting them do it. But at the beginning, how hard was it to let them go off by themselves and maybe sometimes they hadn't the experience to say what was needed at the time so it was a massive challenge for me because it's new for me it's something I was never great at I was always the coach that always wanted to be the voice in the room coaching I told you you do you know and I've had to reinvent myself over the last three four or five years to kind of move with the times of, of what players are needing right now. Um, so it was really tough for me not to, to step in. And But I do think my being trained as a guidance counselor in the last couple of years has allowed me to be better at that. Mm-hmm. So, um, But one of the things that we 
at the start of that process, we have, we have specific language that we want to use, that we like to use. And I didn't really listen to what they were telling each other. I wanted to hear our language and how they spoke to each other. So the only thing that I would say to them is, what's our language for that? What's our language for that? And then they would re-say the same thing with our language as opposed to just general statements. So the first part of that was just making sure that we spoke in our language. And I think that helped us massively in the latter end, going to the your challenges of um, being successful when we had to speak to each other in, 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 in a good manner. How early do you bring in that language uh, into whether it's after the trials, obviously, because the team is there, you have a panel formed, but how early is that brought into the process and the players start to pick up the different terms and terminology? During the trials. During the, oh, during the trials, it, okay. Yeah, we, we, we speak our language during that. We we let them know this is this is what we are. This is our standard. This is what we're what we're going to do. So it won't be basic stuff. So it might be like, um, you know, our pipe runs, or it might be flattening the defense. So just generic stuff that like everybody does. But just that's our phraseology for it. So like, you know, we'll we'll say this is what you might hear at your club level, but this is what we call it. So we're okay. trying to let them know that they've heard this before. This is nothing new. But this is yeah. what we're calling it. So yeah, so it'll just be some two, three, four, maybe max generic um, language pieces that you know they so that they're aware that we do talk in a certain way in 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 here. If you want to stay involved, without getting into specific, because I think we could have a three-hour conversation about it. But <laughs> where did you pick up the different terms? Like you mentioned, their pipe. I heard you talk about other ones before. Yeah, I, I guess I just built it up over the years. I've been very fortunate that. Um, you know, before COVID kicked in, 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 in old style, you know, you spend your money, you get a plane ticket, you go to practice, you 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 go to camps in Europe, you go to camps in the States, you get to know people, you know, when Zoom wasn't around and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So, yeah, just getting to know people, getting their terms. So, like, we call the, the chart circle jail. That's a Rick Pitino, but actually I got that on a video clip when I was watching one of his clinics. So, yeah, we just build it up um, over time. But I've always tried to attach an image or something that the player is going to associate with to help sell the language better. So like we call it like rainbow passes. We want to force rainbow passes. And at the bottom of rainbows is a pot of gold. So when Mm -hmm. we force a rainbow pass, that gives us an opportunity to steal the gold. So the ball is gold. That's what we're trying to chase. Whereas if we allow laser passes, lasers kill you. So having an attachment to our language with an image is vitally important for us um in in what we're trying to achieve brilliant i love that is there do you actually write these down for the players do they get like a handout or is it just something they hear repetitively um i have a google slide with everything from offensive to transition to uh yeah so we just just a matter of share put the addresses in and off we go or print or download as a pdf and send it that way so yeah so it's, it's ready to go all the time Okay, very good. I'm interested in the area of skills and skill development. Is that part of, I guess, the program? Is that something you look at, whether it's technique, kind of overskilling, and what what aspects do you bring in, and how early do you bring that in? Great question. Um, and I think that's evolved over time. And you know, I've had some really wonderful people to be around that, that have helped me trying to to get there. You know, I think Carol Sullivan is wonderful at that. I mean, he's He's him, him and Francis, uh, Mark McGettrick, you know, I've then been on calls with, with with other people outside the country without dropping names and stuff. But mm-hmm. I think I've evolved with that process. Um, I would have been very much an on-all 
um, on air coach in the past, um, you know, and it would have led to a massive frustration by me on the sideline towards the players when we didn't get it right in games. Um, and there's still a place for for that. I think what I've defined coaching right now for me is giving confidence to a player. And by giving a confidence to a player, can we then put their, that confidence and make a team around it that are all confident? So mm-hmm. each player may need to be given confidence in different ways. So for Orla, it might that if we're doing a pro stop, I might need to do that for Orla on air first before she grasps mm-hmm. it to going into live play. Mm-hmm. For, I don't know, let's just say Paul Keller, he might have to do that live right off the bat. So there's no point in bringing him back. So mixing all of those personal or personal skill sets, whereas Orla might be a better shooter, so she mm-hmm. doesn't need to be taught shooting technique on air, but Paul might be an awful shooter, so he needs a bit more on air time to get confidence that way before he can put it into play so i think i've tried to right how can this player get confidence within our team setting and get the team confidence around all of that so confidence mm-hmm. is something that i've really kind of tried to to build it around over the last couple of years around the team um i feel like i've strayed away from the question that's all right don't worry i i never stick to the question list so we'll just keep going but with the confidence side of things i'm interested in that and i am really i'm always interested in the individual versus team approach is that something you do with players at practices? Is it away from practice? Is it before or after? Whether it's through Zoom now with COVID, how do you approach that that sort of thing? You know, I think, again, I've evolved with that. I wasn't great with it. Um, but the last couple of years, I think, has allowed me to reflect. I think COVID's been great for me. I, I, I love COVID um, in terms of developing as a coach with the amount of access that we have to it, that, mm-hmm. the amount of sharing that people were willing to give. Um, and I suppose... You know, coming off of 22, 23 years of going from Super League national team back into it again, I really had no air, air to or no room to breathe yeah. and reflect and adapt. I mean, it's a, it takes a different skill set to be able to do that on the fly. Mm-hmm. But I think having not coached senior for the last couple of years has actually allowed me breathing space to say, I didn't do this well. You know, why didn't I do this well? Well, you know, I didn't connect with the players. I didn't, do, you know, carry myself correctly in certain situations or whatever it was. Or, you know, I didn't teach this well. This is how I'm going to teach it going forward. Or, you know, I didn't question well enough to find out the whys of the players or or even why I was coaching. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think there's an awful lot there that, that can, that when you have, you know, room to breathe and reflect, I think being aware and being able to reflect are two completely different things. I was aware of an awful lot of my weaknesses as a coach for a very, very long time. I, but I wasn't able to reflect properly on how to make those changes. So I think you have to allow yourself to be able to reflect and not just rote learn things off just because you hear something, um, you know, cool by, by somebody. doesn't mean that you're able to implement that because it might not be a skill set of yours. And I think what, what COVID has done for an awful lot of coaches are young and you know want to make that step they've heard it they've learned it but they haven't experienced it yet because they haven't yet. you know they haven't taught paul keller or they haven't taught orla how to do it and mm-hmm. fail teaching it or be successful teaching it or getting the the you know the experience of knowing crap i failed at teaching that player how to do this mm-hmm. i how, how do i do it better for that mm-hmm. style of player and i think that's you know I think with all the failures I've had as a coach, 
I've been able to reflect because of the stuff I've heard. Oh, that's why you failed. Yeah, I remember that. That's why that didn't work that time. Or, you know what? I've actually done that. But I didn't realize why it worked. Now I do yeah. because I heard the, the theory behind it. But now that I know the theory behind it, I might use that more consistently. Whereas it just worked out one time and I was like, yeah, that was cool. But didn't really know why it worked. Yeah. So I think, I think experiencing the theory is vitally important, not just being able to rote learn off the t- theory or what we hear, hear is cool or whatever it is. So I think coaching is, is, is a lonely place. It's a try to never place. And when you fail, the knives are out there, you know, everybody's out for you. Um, so, you know, I think that's something that we have to learn to deal with as coaches as well. And I wasn't great as a young coach, but I think I've learned to be able to put that aside and, and, and drive on. Obviously some things still hurt it when you, when you hear nasty things said and stuff like that but you know it's, it's part of it and you and i think when you sign up to being a coach you need to understand that that's part of the process yeah absolutely out of interest you mentioned there why do you coach what is i guess the purpose behind you you coaching and the reason i think that's evolved over the years too um okay. i think when i when i was a young coach it was it was winning it was all the wrong things um put myself in all the wrong environments because the fact that i felt winning was what people perceive to be a good coach. Um, yeah. So I put my, you know, I wanted to, to be a professional coach. I wanted to to um, coach abroad. I wanted to experience that as a living. So because I perceived winning to get me there, I probably coached the wrong way for a very, very long time. And, and my why was, my why as a coach probably wasn't what it should have been. And therefore I probably let a lot of players down um, and probably didn't give them everything that they needed because I was chasing my why rather than actually understanding the player's why. Yeah. Um, and that's something I suppose COVID has let me reflect on. So hopefully I'll be a better coach for players moving forward because hopefully I'll be able to understand their why, match it with why I want to coach. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that will serve the player better. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll enjoy my coaching more because of the fact that my why now is a lot different to what it was when I was 20, 25, 30, um, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm a piece of where I am now because, you know, I've, I've, I've realized why I wanted to coach. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you ask a player on a one-to-one? Is it a player activity that you find out there? Why? So I experimented an awful lot with the, with the previous, with, with the Irish team just gone by um, mm-hmm. because I hadn't done all these things in the past and I loved what we achieved with that group, albeit that we didn't get the results that we wanted, but the performances were out, were at a level where I was like, yeah, this style of coaching does work. Yeah. Um, so it was new for me. Um, and yeah, we had multiple one-on-ones via Zoom, you know, after each practice, players would come up and, you know, how did I do today? And, you know, we'd, we'd reflect upon that. So I felt because I was at piece of, of where, how I wanted to coach now the players were far more open to coming in and the questions that they were asked and things like that. So yeah, I definitely think it helps. And how early in the programme do players get feedback? Like you said, they're one-to-one. Is that something that when there's still a larger panel of players, is that something that is given to players, that feedback? Let's say if they're dropped, do they get feedback or is that is that just not part of the process? Um, I think we've always been open. Like if when when we do a follow-up with the parents, you know, if, if your son requires more feedback, then we're more than happy to, to give that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we, and we do try and 
you know, talk to all the players either before practice, after practice, and um, might be during practice. You know, what do you, what do you, what are you doing right here? How are you feeling about this? Are you struggling with this? You know, are you, how you, do you think you're doing well here or whatever it is? And you know, we'll we'll have those chats and we let them bring it out themselves. I wasn't again. I wasn't always great at that. It's something I've evolved in over the last couple of years, um, and. I think it does help when the player brings their information to you. It allows you then help them in in their way, um, and I think that's been a massive thing that we really experimented on in the last program, and it worked really really well for for players. Um, and sometimes they hear information they don't like, and sometimes the instant shock of hearing something that they always thought they were good at, and now it's really actually not what they were good at. Mm-hmm. But then they come back the following day, say, "Yeah, I understand what you're saying," and now they drive on. And we had a couple of players this past summer who really initially were like shocked at the information they got, but then said, you know what, let's give this a go. And they drove on and I thought they were very, very good by coming into the program. Do you think that's what separates the great from the good players is being able to take that shock and that feedback of, do you know what, Orla, you're not as good as you think you are in X, Y and Z. You need to work on it. And instead of me pouting and getting pissed off and saying, right, whatever, Paul, whatever you think, I take the feedback on board and I, I just attack my weaknesses. I always think some players attack their weaknesses so much they nearly become strengths. Yeah. Um, Danny Murphy shared on a, on a, I think it was a news talk show um, a couple of months back when Jared Hulia passed away. And um, he said... He was a brilliant man and he knew when to say it, how to say it, and the right time to say it. Mm-hmm. And he they just won the triple of the UEFA, the two cups in, in, in England, and they were celebrating. And Gerard Houllier, in the middle of the celebration, said, Danny, you need to come back next year, whatever amount of weight down. And he said, what? And he disagreed. And he said, have you ever played for England? And Danny Murphy hadn't played for England. So it was just like, one subtle thing to make you realize you know what you still have another step to go and he said that danny murphy came back whatever amount of weight that he had to have lost and be in shape and he actually played for england the, the following year so mm-hmm. i think it's you're right the the great players do handle the, the shock it may not be immediate but in time it, it does happen mm-hmm. um i know roy won't 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 mind me sharing the story but you know when when roy was on the 16 with us we had this conditioning drill that we always finished before we, that we always did before we finished up in the break and you know we consequences and all that sort of stuff and they had done the consequences off off of not being successful during during the drill and they were about to walk off for 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 their break and i said lads we still got to do our our pre-break um activity and roy was pissed just stared me whipped off the top got himself set up and blew his own record out the window Wow. Stared me after it, picked up his top, went off. But like, it just showed me just there's an edge with with the great players. There's like, yeah, I just gotta, I have that edge. I have to maintain that standard. I have to go there the whole time. Um, and I think that's what separates the players. You know, it's they always are on the edge. You know, Ronaldo, Messi, you know, Salah this weekend. They're constantly pushing the boundaries. Um, I think when you push the boundaries, you find yourself getting to a place that you never thought you were able to get to. Mm-hmm. I think some players are afraid to go there and that's why they don't hear and they don't listen. 
and sometimes don't accept feedback because they're afraid of going to a place that they don't realize they can actually be really, really good at. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a fear thing, but the great players are not afraid of going there. Is that a conversation you have with players surrounding potential and being able to, whether you put it honestly in a positive or a negative light and you kind of sit me down early and say, look, do you know what? You're not going to make the WNBA, but this is your potential and I'm going to do everything I can to get you here. So I, yeah, it's a great question. And I think I've done a better job over the last few years in terms of one, finding out their why mm-hmm. and then or how are you going to get there? So asking them first what they think they need to go, what they need to get to that place. And then you operating around that and using that as their accountability stick to kind of say, well, you want to get here. This is how we're going to get here. And if you, you know, you're the one that identified this with me. So we need to get here by this, 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 and this. Are you prepared to do that? And the answer is yes or it's no, but now I'm able to hold them accountable to what they want to do and their why, as opposed to me thinking Orla might want to go to the WNBA but I haven't asked her. So I'm coaching her in a way that she doesn't want to be coached. Orla might just want to play recreationally. So now yeah. my coaching has to be different to for Orla than it is for, let's say, whoever. Um, yeah. you know. So like that's what we just have to be aware of is that the players-wise might be different to the team-wise. And we need, as coaches, we need to be able to adjust that. And that's at a club level. At an international level, their wise are all the same. But at yeah. club level, we have to understand that some player might want to just play recreation. He might want to play with his best friend. He might be okay with being the 8th, ninth, 10th guy because he's okay with getting the three or four minutes because mm-hmm. he's around his why, which is social outlet, meeting friends, all that sort of stuff. So we just need to understand the whys inside of the environment that the players want to be at. Mm-hmm. you mentioned their conditioning um, how do you structure your sessions I know it obviously depends on the team and the goals and the players but generally is there a specific structure that you do follow uh, for a training and, and um, kind of the, the double sessions and the weekend sessions I think what the Federation have done a really good job with Pete Madsen and, and Kevin Foley is making sure that the SNC has become a real integral part of, of the programme um, through lockdown you know we had SNC on Zooms but what was interesting was that when we got back on the floor, everything that we had done was stationary. I felt the kids had forgotten how to run properly. So when we got back in, into practice, Declan, our SNC guy, it was actually all about learning to run again, how to use the hips, how to um, move properly or, and activate the muscles properly again. Uh, and once we got that down, then we went into you know, more conditioning, you know, all that sort of stuff. But we had to do a little bit more this time because we had been off for 18 months. So how we structured this time, Declan had an awful lot of autonomy on this. We'd speak leading up to the practice, how much time he needs, what he's looking to do. And I would base my practice around the energy levels of the players then based on what Declan was going to do. And we had a really good relationship with that way. So it worked really well for us. And is that conversation like, Paul, look, we're going to be doing X and Y in S&C. So let's say the effort level is 7 out of 10. So you can't be blasting players looking for 10 out of 10 straight after what I'm doing with them. Exactly. Or it might be a situation where Declan, look, I need to get this in today. What are you looking at doing? And he might say, I'll taper back on what I'm planning on doing, but I'll still be able to achieve what I want to do. So Declan, Declan and I had a, we had a wonderful, um, a wonderful, wonderful um relationship in that respect and he was he was really easy to work with skills wise and I suppose t- tactical wise going through plays and 
different drills what sort of percentages do you give for each of them I know it would vary session to session but to how much importance is those different components of the game one of the things that we we started to do um, when we got back in the floor and, and it was a new thing for me we, we started doing pips I started with the club last year and we just didn't have enough time really to to do it with with nationally when we only had six eight weeks to to get ready technically for for your challenge but personal improvement plans so like pippa is a seed we want to plant seeds and and, and let them grow a little bit and something I've, I've developed over the last couple of years but with the club we started doing um the first 10 minutes of practice you do your pip so your pip might be this week it might be reverse layups it might be you know um through legs and, and attack off of off of one foot whereas our post player might be about drop stepping he just needs to get that right or so on and so forth mm-hmm. so each player's pip they would work on their pip and that might change two weeks later then so you know if Orl and paul have you know they're working on their free throws then they, we're going to merge them together and they're working on their pips together um and that might change two weeks there because i might have to do a better job my defense is sliding and i might match up with somebody else in that so we try and have six kind of pods of, of pip sessions um, and stuff like that so yeah so pips is, is how we're developing our skills and then we're trying to go into the team oriented stuff of you know live 1v1 2v2 3v3 tactically relocation run the pipe flat defense things like that do the players have much of an input let's say for the pip like can i turn around and say paul look i think i need to work on my shooting or is it sort of just coach driven that look or you need to work on your dribbling here a bit more um, I think with the younger kids, we kind of, you know, I, I really experimented with the younger kids. I haven't done a whole lot of it with the with the older, but okay. obviously with more time this year with the with Nashlene, that's something that we're going to work uh, collaboratively with 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 the players when we get the squad together. So we find out what they believe they need to work on. Then we will, you know, we will see what they what we think they need to work on, and maybe their pips might be one that they feel they need to work on and one that we feel they need to work on. So five minutes of theirs and five minutes of theirs. So it's, it's still experimental right now, but it's, it's, it's proved quite fruitful with the younger age groups and we can see their skill sets um, evolving because of it. Out of interest, speaking of skills, um, what do you think is the most underrated or um, skill or attribute in the game at the moment? Oh, I actually think passing. Um, and that can be done, you know, I mean, I think passing under pressure, um, passing, you know, to see, passing to, to find the right shooters, even receiving, like people put passing as, as, as the giving. I think being receivers off of passing is just as important. I don't think we actually work on that enough in getting to open space and being a great receiver to help the passer. So I think it's, a two, it's always been a two-way thing for me, the passing and the receiver. Um, and being in open passing lanes and how you can get open to be a great receiver just as much as being a great person with vision to see the right pass, you know, and stuff like that. So I think passing is is something that's definitely and 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 being willing to leave a goal. A lot of players right now like they just want to bounce the, the hell out of it and, and things like yeah. that. And their vision isn't great and their passing isn't great. So that's one thing that we we really emphasize with the national team is you gotta be a willing passer to be able to help somebody else to be successful as well. How do you coach vision? Uh, is that something that you think can be taught or is that just a natural attribute you have? I would have always, you know, as I said, I grew up being a five on old guy or an on old guy, but I think definitely you have to game it. And I think, you know, it's been a long process and, and a reinvention on my part, but definitely I think the more small side of the games, we call them games of purpose. So what's the purpose of the game that you're trying to, trying to, um, 
to do you know is the passing is the screening is the cutting what's the purpose of it but i think more games of purpose definitely help that the speed of the decision and, and and making the right decision you mentioned on the hoop folio podcast episode which i'll link below um about teaching players to be better teammates how do you teach that um to really any any age group or any level because i suppose the same core components would be transferable to all ages i think it's tough I think it's tough. I think with, with society that we're in at the moment, um, I think it's a very mayfain um, thing right now. And, you know, I think parents want their kids to be successful and they want their kids to be in the spotlight. And so I think it's harder than it's ever been before. Um, but I think when you, you're in an environment where you preach it every day, you identify, you know, players, especially when somebody's having a really bad day having a really bad practice but they're still making sure that everybody else is trying to be have, have a great time I really call though I, I get excited over those and I, and I get kind of silly over it and call them breakthrough moments and all that sort of stuff and overindulging it in one respect so I think it's as leaders we have to make sure that we have to catch them being great at being great for their teammates um, and I think the more you emphasize that they see the value of it um, and one of the things I got off Bob McKillop is if you if you emphasize it enough and you show the value of it enough, they'll take it on board as something that's a value to them. So that's something, that, you know, and we have a phrase, um, you have to be appreciative of other people's success. If you're not appreciative of other people's success, then you're probably not going to be a great fit for what we want in our culture and our, and our value system. Mm-hmm. You, um, we mentioned before video analysis. Um, when did you actually start to introduce that with your teams? And how did you find it first? And then how did the players find it watching themselves and just getting, like, just getting, seeing this other angle of the game that they just never would have seen before? I remember Doug Leishner, um when he was there and we were short a staff member. Um, and the club felt that we were short a video guy. Um, sorry, Doug felt we were short a video guy and the, st- the club felt we were short a stats guy. And I remember Doug saying, I can stat the game from video, I can't video the game from stats. Yeah. So we sacrificed, because we couldn't get a staff member, we always brought a video guy and we've started the game afterwards. Um, I was probably the most accurate stats in, 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 in the league because we, we really emphasised it. But that's when I realised the importance of video. You can't video from stats but you can't stat from video and it just really showed right off the, that was like yeah i need to be great at video i need to find a way of being great at video um and we kind of introduced video pretty much right off the bat so when we did this year's team when we were in covid you know when we zoomed every sunday um video was a massive part and we got them to create their own video and we got them to create the video and put our language on the video and we so like we got, I think we got Georgia was the first thing that we did and we broke them into four groups and each group had to analyze one quarter and bring it back what they felt that from our language we did well from the 2019 team and what we didn't do well. And it was really good. And if, you know, they came up with new um, video apps like Kindmaster and stuff like that. And, you know, I always use Final Cut Pro, but Kindmaster was great for like putting the lines in and circling and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it was... Um, I think video is, is huge. And I think when we got back on the floor, because we had done so much video and so much analysis, they knew exactly what we were looking for because they'd seen it. 
yeah. and then when they got back on the floor they were experiencing it so when we got back on the floor for the first couple of sessions i resent the videos that i had sent them the whole time and i said right watch what these guys are doing and see what we did in the practices and it just clicked right off the bat um so i think video is huge but i think using the tendencies of what you want to achieve i see so many people use video and just randomly take things oh we didn't do this well you know that that wasn't good but that had nothing to do with the tendency the offensive or defensive or transition wise so i think using your language using your tendencies and not just throwing in random stuff here and there just because you want to show a bunch of clips mm -hmm. i think tendencies are huge for the success of video being a success for the players going into a game um how much video do you use i'd say the night before a match is that something that you send the players to kind of watch clips of themselves yeah so what we would traditionally do at the euro challenge is they would get the video for the following day the night before so they would get a chance to watch in their spare time they get a chance to watch it segmentally if they wanted to they can watch it whatever way they want and then when we get into our video that morning of the game we're able to fly through it you know and and we'd ask them anybody see anything first that they're concerned about and then we'd go through it based on that um, and stuff like that or we'd stop at the time that they need to be stopped do you, have you noticed a difference between like with the players confidence to watch themselves uh, on video and kind of see their positive elements of their game like i know a lot of players speak about maybe the night before or a couple of hours before a match they'll have clips of themselves with music that they like and they'll use it as the kind of the sports psychology side of things yeah i mean i think our, our players even want like we videoed practice this year um, and even the players wanted that. So, I mean, I think it showed the, the value that they found of it. Um, and it was great for them to, to ask us for more video of what they were doing well, of what they weren't doing well, and things like that, collectively and individually. So, um, yeah, I, I, it, was, it was music to my ears when they started coming and looking for, for the video and, and seeing the value of it. Um, and I think it really helped our performance levels this year. What was the decision to video practice? I know we had a conversation about this before. I never really did it in the past, um, but I guess this year because we weren't scrimmaging, it was by accident really, I guess that we, we not the accident, but we just felt that we needed to see it as we did it, albeit not against that other opposition. Um, whereas it would have been always against other opposition that we would have had the video in the past, but definitely in practice. And even just, you know, we might do our schemes five on all, or we might do our schemes at 30% versus defense. and. And seeing certain things and we'd, we'd video that and say right did you see what we can achieve from this these are the three or four options that we can get off of that you know or you know when jack O'Leary was coming off the staggered ball screen you know what options we can get off of that for specific players like dara wede killing ribbon etc etc and how everybody else can complement us around that so i think video was huge for us to be able to progress um without scrimmaging against other teams which obviously we weren't allowed to do um in COVID scenarios I think you had a play or activity for them with the training videos, was it? Yeah, so we we we'd give them an activity every night, um, or every Sunday night. Uh, we'd put them in the breakout rooms, um, and they would come back with, and we'd give them different video scenarios, or it might be defensive, or you know, we we might ask them to break down, you know, a three-two defense that the opposite that we did last year. What are our strengths if we were to run a three-two? Um, and we get them to make presentations and, and they come up with some really, really fantastic stuff, you know. And how much video goes into, let's say, 
uh, let's say you're scouting a team maybe a couple of weeks leading up to the Euros I know normally with COVID you'd have loads of challenge games so you can you can get video and you're doing dodgy deals left and right in the Euros <laughs> with the USB sticks and nobody speaks English yeah. how, how much prep goes into the video um, beforehand and I like a, I suppose after a game how much time do you actually spend I suppose breaking down not only the performance that day but preparing for the next performance probably the day after it's a great question um, uh, I guess it all comes down to the time how many times they've played have we seen them play live have the players seen them play live um, so like this year obviously we weren't able to see who were we playing? Oh, we we are we were the first day off, so we had Hungary and Bulgaria played first. So we went to watch it live. We were only allowed to go watch it live, and we had the players watch it, and they did their own scouting report. So that kind of helped us um, with that sort of analysis a little bit too. Um, so traditionally, we would have probably had a game or two that we didn't have to watch that. So we use our own eyes and we use the players' eyes to figure out how we wanted to play. Um, but obviously, as the tournament goes on. We've seen them more um, yeah. and we, we can break that down. But usually we, we get to a scenario where things that we've done well in the previous game and then things that the, the opposition are going to do and the journey is in around 12 minutes, uh, between 8 and 12 minutes. For anyone that doesn't have experience with scouting or breaking down video, what do you look for, let's say, when you're analysing the opposition? So I used to have like millions of things on, on a scout report, but now it's like, what do, what are they doing? And what can we do against them? And what, if we did this action, how would they defend that? Have we seen something that they were... So really, it's just four columns, really easy, you know, a couple of player things. And I really dumbed down this year on our scout report to three things offensively that we want to achieve, three things defensively we want to achieve, and everything else is be aware of. Um, So, and the players absolutely tucked with like the duck to water whereas in previous years I'd have had like seven eight points offensively for us seven eight points defensively for them seven eight points us defensively and just too much information and I guess one of the things I've always done at half time was I'd split my board in two three offensive things three defensive things so I said to myself this year if I'm doing that half time why not do it before the game and it worked absolutely tremendously so the first game this year I did my old style thing and I was like yeah these players are just not getting it we haven't practiced it enough we haven't done anything in prep we haven't been outside the country and I said right for the game two I'm going to take my halftime scenario do it at the beginning and then it just absolutely worked treat and I think we actually excelled because we focused on one of two things only and especially under 18 level where it's not at the level of senior players where there's so many other things going on mm-hmm. those two or three key areas offensive defensively which is only about four to six areas and they took all that in and i think we were better for it um so it's something that you know i'm going to take forward and um, for the next couple of programs that's actually something i chat to to aaron bracken about i had the similar experience with my own team um not with them anymore they were under 12 under 13 and i'll never forget it's the first match because we had the water breaks and in ga you then like doubled or tripled your contact time with your team so everyone really overloaded players and the way I did it was I, I then did the power of three similar to you and the girls would nearly shout the things back at me I love the way you said there like that goes into what you said earlier about reflection is you're going to now take that the power of three forward whereas in before you would have done seven whereas then a half time 
it was the three. I actually like the way you, you split your board in three and did the three offences and three dif- defences there. Yeah, um, and you know what? I would. It's probably the one thing I, I, I used, I was pretty good at using assistance for was they'd sit down beside me. Okay, what do you seen? What are three most important offensive things that we need to get right for the second half? What are three most offensive things that we need to get better at for the second half? And if we focus on those things, and traditionally our second, our third quarter and our fourth have been better. So when I look back, maybe it's because we gave too much information at the start um, and stuff like that. So, um, and this year we, you know, I was very cognizant of the fact that the players needed time to breathe from us as the staff in the game. So I would always send Declan in open, have him make sure that there was no conflict in the dressing, which there never was, to be fair. Um, but just be aware, and he would just maybe say to us, look, this is what they're hearing. And before we go in, we'd already have an answer, and we'd ask them, okay, what are we seeing out there? What are you seeing? Um, what are you feeling out there? Who's hurting us? Who's not hurting us? Where can we exploit them? So I'd already have heard from Declan what their thoughts were, so I'd, I'd already be ahead of myself. So that was a little trick that I kind of just came up with this year. Is there any other structure that you give to um, potentially, I know not for the other team's timeout because that's sometimes you're not prepared for that, but for your own timeouts and the halftime talk, I'm just conscious if there's any GAA coaches listening, as I said, trying to manage the water breaks and have all of this extra contact time with your players. It's hard not to overload them and kind of give too much information um, compared to before. Yeah, and I was, I was... I used to normally scream on my timeouts, um, so yeah, I lose 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 my rag a little bit. But I think, you know, and, I, and I'm not going I'm not going to shy from this. You know, learning how to question better as a guidance counselor, learning how to question better as a coach, um, and I think you find more information from. Sometimes you have to give them the information, and I've said this before in other podcasts. What do they need now? Um, do they need? questioning do they do we do they need to give me the information mm-hmm. do i need to give them the information or do they need to just be given a little bit of fire um under them um you know and i think if you follow that i think you always find the best way to handle mm-hmm. the timeout so what do they need now and i you know it was when i was at glamour that i that i was given that by Kenneth kennedy a sports psychologist but again not knowing the value of it I didn't take a forward to other teams until the, the past couple of years. So the fact that I'm now back using it, um, we get far more productivity from our, our timeouts than, we, than we've ever had in the past. Do you ever record yourself speaking to the team, whether it's before halftime or timeouts? I'm afraid. I'm afraid to. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. Um, yeah, I'm afraid to do that. Yes, but I've, I've been encouraged. I have the microphone. I bought the microphone. I still haven't, haven't done it yet. Bra- I haven't had the bravery to go there yet. But I, I'm this going year, to have Paul. to get there. Yeah, I'm going to get there. I'm, I'm putting on there. you. I'm going to be texting you now in a few months saying, like, did you record yourself yet? <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to you a little bit about Irish basketball, I suppose. What do you see as the evolution over the last couple of years in talent, in skill, in really all areas? What have you noticed over maybe the last 10 years uh, as the evolution of the players? It's a wonderful question. And I think there's so many things that have happened to our society, not just basketball, but our society um, that, have helped, that has helped basketball. And I think the ethnic diversity in our society and basketball being part of that, um, having better athletes, having, um, you know, more, you know, Polish-Irish now, more Lithuanian-Irish, more African-Irish, 
you know, and bringing their culture of to our to our game um, has definitely been a, a contributor to to our progress at European level. Um, I also think the advice I was given when I was started coaching is you'll only be as good as what you expose yourself to. And now if I put that on the players, the players are now getting massive exposure on the internet. You know, you wake up in the morning after an NBA game, they've got the NBA game broken down into nine minutes and 20, 30 seconds. They have Steph Curry YouTube videos of all his skill sets, Kyrie Irving, you know, um, you know, Jordan beats or fours are being more dynamic now and all that, but they're watching and they're seeing high level players do all this. They're also taking some habits that they're not ready for yet. Mm. So I think the players have exposed themselves to that and they're bringing it back. And it's up to us as coaches now to be able to jump on that, utilize that, utilize that resource to guide our players and be good leaders to let them express themselves. And I was never great at that. But I think over the last three or four years, I've, I've had the chance to reflect and say, I need to be better at letting the players express themselves, but also guide them on where best to utilize what they're exposing themselves to. Yeah. Yeah. I think you mentioned before in a podcast or it was an interview, but from the lads in Neptune coming home from the States, you were at practices and you would let them, you kind of take a little bit of a step back and you would let the guys that have been there, as you said, expose themselves to different players, different coaches, different levels, teach the younger players what they've seen and how to adapt to a higher level. Because like the lads who have been in the States, everybody in the club are looking towards them. So clearly like they're just going to pass on and as everyone improves and as the lads, let's say Eli Lenehan, and Sean McCarthy, who were, were listening at the time, they're going to come back for the next generation players. Yeah, I think it's having the confidence as a coach to let that happen, having the experience. And I think the more that I've grown up, <laughs> and you can, some people say, have I or haven't I? But you know, the more that I've grown up, I think, and matured as a coach, I've been more confident in letting that happen. Yeah. And it, it's not a hit of my ego yeah. that some the kids are coming in and showing like a step back move or getting to their balance or going again off a second move and showing how to do that against, you know, a cheating defense or whatever it is. And now I'm actually excited when I see that. Whereas in the past, I'm like, yeah, stop that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's having the confidence and having the ability to step back and just let that happen um, and let them expose themselves to other people teaching them as well. Um, so I think that's part of coaching now. Yeah, having that confidence to to step back and and let them at it. How much do you think confidence weighs in, or how much is coaching confidence? I've phrased that so badly, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, um, I think for like I'm not a United fan, I'm a Liverpool fan, so for me to be able to say this is is tough. But I think Ferguson was a master at it. You know, I think he knew. He knew who, which coach to put on players at the right time for them and what they needed now. Um, you know, I'm obviously a Jurgen Klopp fan. I think he's outstanding at what he does. Um, Pep Guardiola. Um, but then you look at the you look at the basketball element of it, and you look at like Brad Stevens and his demeanor and and what he does. And you know, I think we can learn from that and how people 
coaches really let other coaches take part of it. And I suppose that's a, a major thing that I've tried to work on the last since 2019, especially of giving autonomy to assistant coaches so they can be part of the process and the players can trust them just as much as they can trust me. Um, so I think having that confidence as a coach to not let your ego swallow up everybody else's development um, and let them be part of the process as well. What kind of roles do you give the assistant coaches um, in the programme? Um, you know, I think the last couple of years I've found out what their strengths were. So it's not always the same the whole time. Um, sometimes it's actually <laughs> to be good for me, which in terms is good for the good for the players. You know, I've you know I've had um, you know Niall Barry was our assistant this year, and he was great for me in in realigning my beliefs. And he was great in terms of being that player for the players. You mm-hmm. know, talking their language and having all that for them. Um, and he was you know very good in the in the game scenarios. And Niall was great talking to the players coming off the floor. So everybody's role is going to be different. Um, and then other assistants I probably haven't taken, haven't taken advantage of, of their strengths enough. Um, yeah. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't good enough as a head coach to delegate. I, I wanted everything to be done by me. Um, mm-hmm. So I think having confidence to let go, having the ability to delegate and knowing where to delegate for the strengths of the assistant is, is important. And it's still something I'm, I'm evolving in um, as a head coach. I actually meant to ask you this question earlier, but after a game, talk us through sort of the breakdown with the players, let's say, in the dressing room afterwards, and then as you go towards breaking down the video of the game in preparation for the next one. It has been eight years since I've been in the dressing room post-game. Okay. Um, we talk for 10 seconds, maybe 15 seconds after a game, um, and pretty much... You know, good job, not so good job. We know where we need to get better at. Um, but nothing is, is in depth post game anymore. Um, okay. Why is that? So I think as a coach and as players, we don't we don't have a proper an- analysis of the game immediately. Yeah. So the emotion has to come out of the game. Um, and I generally watch the game before I give a proper analysis um, okay. of the game again. Um, but again, that that came about because when I was coaching Glamour, I couldn't go in the dressing room after after oh, the game yeah. because there, there were females, yeah. and I really enjoyed not going into the dressing room. So it's since the 2014 season, I haven't been inside in the dressing room post game. Um, so then obviously we'd have 24 hours before we'd get to get to see the players again, and I'd have watched the game probably three times by then. And what goes into the analysis where you present to the players? the following day like do you mention those three offensive and three defensive goals that you had or is it just reflecting on the game overall so we'd start with those areas and then we'd have a general reflection of things that you know we probably didn't, weren't aware of during the game that we didn't see during the game that maybe we didn't see as a staff on, on the game that maybe mistakes that we made um and then we'd go back into certain scenarios where we could have done collectively i'd never really call a player out individually but I, w- okay. I might talk. I might talk to them on their own. But in a general meeting, it would be general statements of we didn't do this. You know, I I can't stand <laughs> coach that said I or them or it's always a we. So like if yeah. a player doesn't perform something, it's on us collectively. It's on did I did did us as a staff give the give the instruction properly that the player can execute or 
did we not teach it properly or you know but it's definitely a we thing um and it's our team it's not my team it's not my players it's our staff we all are in this and it's the role that we have in the environment and we're all part of this so it's not my staff it's not my players it's so that's something that i would I, i'm very firm in my belief of not being it's my players my staff my assistant coaches it's our team you know and i think that's something that we've always done really well is not is not a my and an i it's an us and it's a we um environment when did you develop that we mentality or was that something you just naturally had from from your underage experience maybe coaching um I did my master's in sports psychology in 2006 to 2008 with Jerry Fitzpatrick. Um, I just, he all, he said one thing, a coach's best attribute is his words and his word box. And I suppose that's when I really started getting into the whole language and the we and stuff like that. So Jerry Fitzpatrick was a massive influence in terms of um, developing that um, vocabulary and, and that language of, of an us environment. And out of interest with the stats, um, how much of, does that play into the, into let's say your post game analysis? And do you in like I know basketball is probably different to GA, and I was at the the men's European Championships in short by quarter. I was handed everyone's individual yeah. stats, but is that something that you obviously give the players the individual stats? And but how much is a fo- How much are the stats a focus maybe in your analysis? I've never really been a stats guy. I think it's just informed us of how a trend in the game is going. So like, I never really look at. You know, never judge a player on how many shots he made or missed. But I might look at it and say, right, okay, he hasn't shot well. What's our reflection on that? Yeah, that tells us that, you know, but he might have had un- a lot of uncontested shots. He might just not have made them. Mm-hmm. Whereas other days, yeah, he's four for seven, but he's taking too many contested shots. So we need to address that. Or rebounds is a massive thing that we look at. And that kind of tells us whether we're, we're struggling defensively or offensively or if we're dictating the game and then assists. So like we are really looking for, you know, we really want to be in around the 20 assist mark for games. That's five per quarter. And if we're not, if we're down, there's generally a correlation to the lack of assist, assist that we've had. So that's something that we would look at. But again, it's informative rather than kind of dictating what way we want to go. It's just giving us some information of where we, where we may need to do better of for an individual or for, for a team. You mentioned previously um, Bob McKillop and, and Davidson and you've gone to, to Duke camps as well. What were those experiences like and what were some of the takeaways that you remember just being like, geez, that makes so much sense or something that you still use to this day that you've learned from those experiences? If I was to go now, I'd probably take more advantage of it. Um, I probably didn't take advantage of those opportunities as good as I would have liked to. Um, How so? probably the nuances um, and how both staffs actually developed the connection with players. When I was there, it was very much, oh, I like that drill. Oh, I like, you know, how they did that scheme or whatever it is. So I didn't really do a good enough job as a young coach in understanding how the chemistry that was developed and how the relationships that were developed and how the connections and how players came back during camp to help the current players be part of that. And one of the things that both groups obviously did really well was had senior players teach young players or the freshmen coming in of what the standard was, what the value of the program was. 
I never really got that when I was there until now. So I'm a bit slow on the uptake. I'm not the most, I'm not the brightest guy in the, in the planet when it comes to this sort of stuff. And it takes me a while to, to catch on. Um, but I think if I got that earlier, maybe did a bit, a bit more success with the things I've had over the past couple of years. I think that's something that's, that coaches are only really kind of kind of getting to grasp with it now and the importance of the values and building relationships. But I suppose with the US coaches, they to recruit a player, you're building that relationship because Zion Williamson is going to have every college in the country mm-hmm. coming after him. And it doesn't matter what drills you do, what you say to him, it's that relationship that he built with Coach K that that's what attracted him to the team. And I think that's what I get the sense of a lot of players when they talk about their recruitment to US colleges is the relationship they build with the coach. And maybe I do think that basketball coaches in the States are probably that bit ahead of them, ahead of other sports and other cultures because they've had to build that relationship and recruit and sell their program to, to a Zion because sure you could go anywhere. Yeah. I think I've always wondered what a relationship is, you know, and I've, over the last couple of years, I kind of really broke it down to two things, care and connect. And, you know, and we've all heard the phrase, you know, until the parent knows you care, they, they, you know, all that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. I think for them to allow you care for them, you have to build a connection first. Mm-hmm. So relationships is care and connect. And then, you know, during all that process, there's going, you know, in the intensity of a battle, your relationship is going to, rupture at some point so how deep you've built that connection will determine how quick that rupture repairs you know so i think developing that relationship is is a difficult thing i used to always yeah. think it was the care element but i showed a lot of care to my players but when i look back it wasn't enough i was always wondering what was missing i didn't really have that connection with players i didn't you know delve into their personal life their outside life what else triggered their enjoyment of in life not just the game of basketball um so connecting with players is massively important from what i've looking back and experiencing and developed over the summer and then having that care to help the connection so that when you do get on a player and you do demand more of them that they're that they think they're giving at the time that you're able to repair that really quickly because of the connection that you've built I think that's hugely important. I didn't understand the value of that when I was a younger coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a question here. If you could be a fly on the wall for a week with any team or coach in the world, who would it be and why? So many. There's so many. Um, I think I think if you're looking at modern day, I think... I think you've got to look at Jorgen Klopp. I just think what he does with, with what he has, you know, sustaining it. I mean, like to not spend any money and still be where he is this summer compared to everybody else. There has to be genius in there somewhere. Um, and take out the fact that I'm a Liverpool fan and I, and I and all this sort You're of stuff. You're biased, Paul. <laughs> but I think you have to understand. And I think he obviously builds a connection and a relationship and it comes through every player back as far as Lewandowski and stuff like that. Whereas I think if you look at Pep Guardiola, he's just able to be so good with what he does in building a team to play sexy football or beautiful football or whatever it is. So I think from a basketball perspective, you know, there's just so many out there at the moment. Um, 
you know, I, I just think you have to look at the coaches in any sport that develop, like Brad Stevens is, is, is amazing. Um, you know, Rick Bird at Belmont really fascinated me when he was with Belmont. Yeah, I would have loved to have done that. Um, so I think, yeah, I just think what oh, Jorgen Klopp, I'd love to, I'd love to see because he's just so fiery and he's just, you know, and he's humorous and he's got all the characteristics and charm and all that. How does he make that work and still demand and get the best out of bringing Diva Origi, who hasn't played in months, and yes, he has put in a performance against AC Milan like that. How does that happen? And how does he make his connections and his relationships really benefit the group? So that would be fascinating to watch. Out of interest, have you ever reached out to coaches um, just at any level in any sport to kind of pick their brain or observe sessions? Um, have you ever done that? I started over COVID. I didn't have the confidence to do it uh, prior to it. And I've developed so many relationships now over COVID and um, involved with, you know, get to know so many players in different co- or coaches in different countries. That That's something that's definitely going to happen, hopefully, when, when COVID finishes. But I was never confident enough to reach out to to coaches of, of that ilk when um when I was younger. So I see an awful lot of coaches do it now, our younger coaches do it now. And I and I would absolutely encourage them to do it and go for it. And um if you get rejected, you get rejected. And I have been rejected obviously during during COVID, but it doesn't matter. Um, you know, they can only say no. What would you hope to pick up from some of those sessions? Um sometimes it's tactical, sometimes it's how to handle the dressing room. Sometimes it's how do you handle, um, you know, not necessarily a rebellious player, but somebody that's really struggling to buy into what we're trying to achieve um, and things like that. So I think it, it depends on the context of what you're trying to achieve with the coach. And sometimes you get all of them. Sometimes you get one of one, one of them. Um, but yeah, so it's definitely something like that, you know. Um, I'm going to ask you for a coaching book or podcast recommendation. So I'm not really a great reader, but I love audiobooks. And I listened to Coach to Coach. Um, and I actually got that recommendation from Mike McKay. Um, and it's an easy listen to. It's about 17 chapters. Um, and it just kind of helped me realign on how to be an enthusiastic coach for, for my athletes and how I can um, be there for them, not just myself, and go beyond um, the winning and hopefully by developing that relationship and connection that it'll help the success of the program. Um, and, you know, everybody's saying this again, like is, you know, it's about people and stuff like this. It is, but each person requires a different thing within your environment. So what's okay. the person's why and does it connect with the team's why? So having, if you just go in with the one why or we want to coach people and this and that, whatever, it's a great way f- to look at it. But I also think that, there are 12 different whys on the team. Mm. So how are we able to mesh all those whys into the team why? And can we make that be a success for what we want to try and achieve? What is the team why out of interest? Each team is different. You know, I think this year was to get back on the floor, compete, um, you know, put in performances. We knew we were down players. We knew we were, you know, on the back end of, other 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 federations haven't played for 12 months we hadn't even practiced for 12 months on a mindset played and um, so it was you know it was to de- develop 
a camaraderie that would be better than everybody else to help us compete. And I think we definitely achieved that. That was that was something that we were very, very successful with. Maybe not in terms of wins and losses, but definitely in terms of what we set out was, let's make this the best possible team we can. Let's make it a, a full of chemistry and let's go and give it a go. And I think that's, that's something that we did really well. Is there a particular podcast recommendation that you give the listeners? I think the Coaches Club podcast is really good right now um, with Luke Gromer. Um, you know, and I think JP Nurban's one, the culture the culture podcast i think there are two really good ones when you're looking beyond the x's and o's um and i think the coaching series that you're doing right now is, is really good too. ah good man i was waiting for that <laughs> <laughs> brilliant so i have three questions in from a former player shout out to daryl sullivan daryl you better be listening um well question one from his three the top five players you've coached all time both raw talent and overall player was always pushed the boundaries, hadn't me. Um, I didn't give you this one as well, so you have you've had no time to prep. I'm gonna I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one because I haven't had enough time to prep on that one. Okay, well I'll come back to you at some point for an answer <laughs> on that, right? Favorite team you've coached, a uh, club and at international level. That's that's a tough one though. I think I think every team has brought something different. Um, I think one of the best transition teams that we had was the 2018-2018 team in Kosovo, I thought. The way we transitioned, the way the ball moved in transition, I thought they were absolutely exceptional. I thought the 2019 team um, was really good in terms of the tempo and being able to play with the style that was required for that particular game. I thought they were a really skilled, intellectual team. Um I thought the first year in Neptune, I thought I thought we were fun to watch. I thought we were really fun to watch. Um, you know, obviously being the first Super League team at, when I was 29 with, with Demons, that was a, a very fun team to, to watch um, and taught me a lot. I thought Shane Collin as a player taught me how to deal with a player of his ilk that I'd never dealt with before in terms of the dynamism that he had and the intellectual play um, of playing inside and outside. Oh my God, I could go on. Every team I, I've really enjoyed. I, I can't say that one team was... For different reasons. Yeah, for different reasons. I just, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why I like to coach is the different, different personalities, the different dy- dynamics of a team, um, the different strengths, and then being able to adjust um, to hopefully let them utilize their strengths more. Um, mm. You know, so I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not leaving some team off and I'm going to get in trouble for leaving a specific team off. Everyone be on to you now after leaving yeah. this. <laughs> um, I mean, even my first Irish, even the first Irish team, I was, I was, I had the pleasure of being able to lead uh, Roy Downey's team with Paddy Sullivan and Lorcan Murphy. That was a, that was, that was, that was a team that nobody expected anything to be done. And, you know, that, that was probably the funnest win actually was actually there their success against Estonia on Estonia's home floor in the last game of the European Championships, um, 88-84. Um, and we'd come off a really bad loss against uh, Belgium the day before. Um, and we got absolutely spanked. So being able to turn that around um, and beat Estonia on their home floor was um, was was definitely um, a major thing that, that, that made me want to go back into or continue into international coaching. 
out of interest, you mentioned fun teams to watch. You, can you relax and enjoy a match now? I'm watching, or sorry, a game. I shouldn't be calling it a match. I'm speaking to a basketball coach. Uh, can you sit back and enjoy watching a game or are you consistently picking up what are they doing? What is this player doing? Are they What kind of plays are they running? My wife kills me because I will <laughs> rewind. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're one of those. Games. I'm one of those yeah. as well. <laughs> I rewind and I get my phone and I will screen record on my television as I'm so I, and I embed them in so I'm not a great I enjoy watching other sports yeah. when it comes to basketball I don't know if I can just sit back and enjoy um there's always something I'm trying to pick up whether it's you know a dynamic movement by a player whether it's um, an action whether it's I've actually started to watch an awful lot of um sideline demeanors from coaches um okay. so i would i would start in that in all sports so watching how they're reacting to certain situations um any kind of adverse situations how they're reacting to that their body language how they're speaking to players um because it's something i have to i i feel i have to better at um so i've actually started watching coaches on the sideline now okay interesting a uh, final question from dara what is your favorite cup win of all time man dara's put me on the spot um they're the one that hurt the most um yeah they, they've they've all again like they've all been fun for different reasons i mean you know john myers one was massively fun because it was just such a, a high level game between ourselves and, and limerick and people forget that game in the last 10 years and i think it's still it's still on women's. youtube actually yeah, yeah i was watching it the other day actually it's the I, I still think it's the best and maybe because we won that game i could say that but yeah like it was such a high scoring game i mean like when do you see a women's game score 54 points in the first half you know it's yeah. we were just so dynamic in that game and they went ahead by 15 and we came back and you know Emily had the chance to win on the buzzer and it went off and then we go to overtime and Grani has her first offensive rebound of the game in overtime and you know so that was a very very fun um, final um, the two that hurt the most was obviously losing to Limerick in, in, in the cup final in our first one with Demons the underrating cup um, with Neptune hurt massively um, against Temple Oak. I thought we were the better team and thought one or two decisions went against us. And actually, I think Darrow was fouled in the last play. Um, okay. I still, I'm still adamant on, on that, um, that he was fouled. And I, I know Darrow would have made the three free throws to win by one. So, um, yeah, so I can tell you the ones that hurt the most. Um, enjoy. They've all been they've all been very enjoyable for for different reasons. I mean, obviously the treble winning with the twenties, division one and eighteens was it was a great weekend. Um yeah, but they've all been fun in, in so many different ways. You mentioned there, Dara, like for example, he got failed on that shot, he takes the three free throws at the end of the game to win the national cup. So you're in a high pressure situation. Do you think that's just an example now I'm giving you? Is that let's say he makes the three free throws for players to step up in big moments like that and under high pressure is that down to their ability or their character i think their character allows them utilize their ability um right. i think it's a great question i've never really de- uh, delved into that but i definitely think their character allows them to utilize their ability in the right way at that moment in in a pressure cooker situation um if you don't have the character it doesn't matter what ability you have because i don't think you have the mental strength to be able to 
to be able to do that. Um, so I think certain players are, are really good at that. Some players are really good at, like, at, you know, we call our t- players this year tone setters and game changers. Um, and over the years, I've never, I don't think I've ever really started what people would perceive to be the best five players. Mm-hmm. But I've always said, how are we going to start the game? So, for example, Sean Jenkins played a wonderful role um, my first year with Neptune as the first guy off the bench. And we set the tone with five different players. But Sean was automatic points off the bench. So we always knew that we had points coming off the bench. And he still played this 20, 26, 27, 28 minutes, maybe even more. Um, and obviously the cup final that year, he had 37. He came off the bench with, with three minutes in and didn't come off the floor until like, I think the last 30 seconds. Um, so again, you've got your tone setters and you've got your game changers. And I believe that you have to have game changers coming off the bench. They might be great starters as well. But I think in the context of who you have, have you got game changers coming off that can build build on the tone that was set by the by the game by the by the tone guys? Speaking of character, does sport build or reveal character? I hate that question. I hate that quote um, because I think everybody everybody has different characters in different in different scenarios. So um, you know, as a young coach. I probably wasn't great in the heat of the moment and my probably wasn't a great leader for players, but it didn't affect my character as, as, as a coach. But maybe in that particular moment, I wasn't the right person to, to lead young players or, or whatever it was. Um, I think I'm better at it now. Um, but I, I, I don't know if it reveals character. I just think that your character is probably best suited to certain moments as opposed to, you know, um, revealing it and all that sort of stuff but i just think it's such a cliche thing now that i think we 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 need to look deeper into that and look at what players are best suited to being a leader in certain situations yeah yeah i know what you mean um we're going to move on to the sideline seven it's the same seven questions at the end of every episode Uh, question one what is your favorite quote i have two i'll allow it (laughs) um aristotle's um I'm not forgetting. It happened to me last time um, as well. But there's a Chinese one as well. Um, a gem Do you want to Google cannot... them there? No. Uh, well, I'll, yeah, I'll, I might check the uh, Aristotle one. But one of my favorite ones, and I suppose coming off of where I am at the minute, a gem cannot be polished without friction, nor a man perfected without tri- trials. Chinese proverb. So that's probably my favorite one. And it's actually on my email when it goes out. Okay. Interesting. Uh, do, you, do you know the Aristotle one? Sorry. Aristotle, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Love it. It's like that that quote: "Make habits rather than rather than choices." Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Question two: Best sporting event you've been to? I've been very fortunate. Um, I was at a bunch of Liverpool, Newcastle, four twos, four threes. Um, I've been to the final four a bunch of times in the states. Um, I was actually at which was a great event, um, the American football game in, in Croke Park. Um, the other final that Cork lost to Clare um, in the replay. Um, I thought that was a pretty good one as well. Um, yeah, so I've been, I've been to, to, to quite a, a few um, that, that I really enjoyed, um, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, definitely. They're, they've been the ones. Is there, is there any standout moment for or a game that you've been involved in? Can you narrow it down? 
standout moment in a game? Is it the game where you slid across the floor to to <laughs> slide <laughs> tackle? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That we actually, that was actually a great game. We played. Um, yeah, that was with UL Eagles. We played Colester in the IWA, and I think it was our second. It was our second last or last game of the season. Um, and we'd set and James Brophy I remember James Brophy was wonderful in that game like Jermaine Turner had killed us below in Limerick and Brophy was outstanding and he took away Jermaine um, and that happened just before half time the ball came on the court and I just you know we instinct. had we, it just instinct <laughs> inner soccer went. player came out there Paul <laughs> yeah I was the centre back and you could see it too um, but no I, I think you know, obviously the referees had seen it it would have stopped the game and the shot clock will, I remember just saying the shot clock will change so I need to get this off and yeah. that's all that happened and we went in I think it was an 8 or 9 up at half time we maintained it and I think we won that by 3 or 4 down, down the stretch so um, yeah, that was that was actually a fun win as well yeah very good uh, third question biggest setback or challenge so far in your career biggest setback um, probably Actually, COVID, not realizing what I didn't realizing what I didn't know as a younger coach, um, and being able to help younger players, um, realizing that was was a massive setback in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. On the yeah. flip side, then a bit more positive, your biggest achievement on or off the court? My daughter, um, yeah, definitely. She's a she's definitely brought a bundle of joy into my life in the last three or four years. Um, you know, from the time that we, we knew we were having her to to know even even before I got in this podcast, you know, um, just just putting putting smiles in our, myself and my wife's face, you know, and connecting us that that's that's probably the biggest achievement by a proverbial mile, yeah. Does she like basketball? Anything to do with the ball. It could be oh, golf, really? it could be camogie, you know, the the our neighbour across the road. I think Cora had just learned to walk. Um and Laura brought her out for a walk and she came back with a hurley and a slitter. Um, you know, and so anything to do with, you know, soccer ball, and we could be able to back kicking, you know, throwing, and it could change sports four okay. or five times in about 10 minutes. When we play okay. soccer, when we do basketball, when we do this, and, you know, so it could change anything. It could be dancing. I mean, she's liable to just pick, pull me off the coach and say, right, Daddy, let's go dancing. And, you've seen the dance that's not a, you know, a good sight so um, but she manages to do it brilliant uh, advice to your 18 year old self emotional control that's an easy one um, being able to handle your emotions in every environment that's that's something I would definitely say to my to my uh, to my younger self dream dinner guest and why and you can open the, the table up to a few people so I've thought of this I have this to every guest talk about this. And I think I would actually split this up into three. Um, three different dinners? No, the one meal. But starter would be players when I started coaching. Okay. And what I was like to, to coach them. Um, halfway through, the next set of players where and see where I evolved with there. And then the dessert would be players in the last couple of years to see what that was like and you know, just to see where I came from, what I did, what I didn't do well, you know, um, how I treated them. It would be 
It would be a difficult task, but I think that's something I would love to do at some point is 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 go back where it all started. How good how good was I to them? How did I treat them? Um, and then building it over and see where I've evolved, where I've gotten, where I regressed, um, what was good, what wasn't so good to help maybe the next 20 years of players that I hope to, to be involved with. At the end of a programme, do you ask um, players for feedback on the their experience? I think Google's um, forms and everything else has been an absolutely tremendous asset for us as coaches, um, whether it's in programme review, whether it's um, in the practice review, whether it's pre-practice um, checking in to see how they are um, and learning how to use those resources to benefit each element of the programme, whether it's practice, whether it's you know individually, whatever it is. Yeah. But definitely I did it this year. I actually used it to maybe get some feedback from players in the last couple of years of what was done well, what wasn't done well, what, how I how I acted as a as a person within the environment that we're trying to create the us and the we. Um and some of the stuff was tough to 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 read. Um and some of it was great to read. Um yeah. but this program was the first time we actually did a proper exit um okay. out. Um and it was very beneficial um for all our staff um and for the entire program um and seeing would they like to be involved in international self again and i suppose that was the question at the end that kind of really epitomized yeah this was a, this was a success because they all want to play for their country again okay interesting i'm interested in the um pre and post training questionnaires what what kind of questions do you ask them they're out of interest um you know Post question, post uh, how the practice go, what were the years we did well, what, what didn't we do well, how did you think you performed, where do you think you are right now after that practice, um, okay. all that sort of stuff. And it just led to other one-on-one conversations. Um, you know, still toying with the pre-practice one, but I think the pro- post-practice we kind of got pretty good, but the pre-practice we're still working on that and developing that to see how they are coming into practice and all that sort of stuff. So how we, you know, some player might have had a bad day in school, some player, whatever it is. So we're just trying to find all those things out and then having that conversation with them to, to see how we're going to handle that practice um, yeah. with them if, if needs be. That's actually something I we mentioned, I mentioned with Jenny Cody and she kind of said, well, everything is tools for conversation. And mm-hmm. like those forms are tools for you to approach. Let's say I, I had a terrible day in school. That's that's a tool for you to approach me and say, look, Orda, you've had a terrible day. Can I help or what's up or whatever? Yeah, definitely. And I think I think you get more back because of that. Um, you know, and you know, over the years we've we've let players mispractice because it was the best thing for them at that particular time. And we got more out of them at the next practice because of that. Whereas I think sometimes, you know, and obviously it's gotta be a great reason for you to mispractice. It can't be just like you know, I feel like not to come to practice like that's that's not acceptable. But yeah. it might be a, a family situation. It might be you know something that's coming up in school or whatever it is but i think we've we've managed it really well over the years for legitimate reasons if they need to whatever mispractice you know if it's best for them right now um and that's something i think we've always done well um mm. you know so very good final question before i let you go if your life was a book what chapter would this be called reinvention okay this is from all of your reflection over COVID. yeah definitely reinvention um, so what what can I expect now as a if I was coming in as a player? <laughs> Put pressure on now. Yeah, definitely. Um I definitely think, you know, 
having a better emotional control is, is, is something I've really tried to work on as, as a coach. Um, I think it's something that all coaches are, are working on right now. I think, I think we're very much aware of, you know, what society we're in right now, how we, how we treat people, you know, and maybe the perception of coaching was that screaming guy and you weren't a great coach unless you were screaming and stuff like that. So, um, you know, so I think, I think we, the, the perception of what a coach is has changed. And because of that perception, I think we've actually, with the brilliant sharing from all sports over COVID, I think we're on a good path for better coaching to occur. Um, and, that, and when I say coaching, that's developing relationships, you know, developing our tactical awareness, developing our skill development processes, our player development processes, um, how, we can, how, how we develop pre-practice plans or pre-practice um, information, post-practice information. But I think coaching has definitely become a wider thing now yeah. than what we ever thought was possible maybe five, five years ago. Um, so it's, I think coaching in all sports in all areas is going to take a massive um increase and i think we're you know um with kenrick at limerick i think he's brought that to the highlight highlight that with, with gta so i think you know it's it's i think we've evolved as uh, as irish sport where other nations were ahead of us in the past but i think the fact that we're latching on really quickly in all codes i think is a wonderful thing for irish irish sport and i'd, I'd like to think in the next number of years that we'll have more professional coaches within our society and within our sporting context um, in this country that um, the government will back that and, and help coaching be a, an actual profession for people that we can keep our best coaches here um, in Ireland. Great point. Look, I'm going to end it there. Paul, thank you so much for your time. We could have kept going for another five hours. <laughs> uh, just want to wish you the best of luck with the programme this year and beyond. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks a million for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Best of luck. big thanks to Paul for joining me on today's episode. You can find all of his social media links in the description box below and there's plenty of webinars on YouTube if you'd like more information. If you did enjoy the episode I'd really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts as it does help the show grow. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter and visit the website thesidelinelive.com for more exclusive content. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you in the next one.